How you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you doing? Oh, by the way, by today, today as we record, and you know, I'll try to get it out by the end of the day, but today as we record, it is the end of the decade. It, it is. It is the beginning. It is the beginning of a new decade. So happy new year. It's December it depends 31st. On the you know, some people start at zero and some people start at one. So if you're one of those people that starts from zero, yeah, we're into a new decade. Yep. You know, I, I, I hear that. I hear that argument, but you know, and I, I made a joke with somebody. I got beat up by a friend of mine who's a bit of a curmudgeon. I love him dearly, but he's a curmudgeon. And uh, he went on about this whole thing. He says, you know, well, you can celebrate the new next decade, but it doesn't really start because there was no year zero. And then he quotes Seinfeld, you know, to let me know that it was actually, you know, that that's actually like Seinfeld is like the beginning and the end of everything that we should know. As Your far quotable as sources. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so, so I pointed out to him, I pointed out to him that, that programmer types, you know, people working in information technology always count from zero anyway. And I did a little bit of a ha ha. And then, and then I pointed out to him that, the whole thing is ridiculous anyway, because the calendar that we use was actually created by Pope Gregory, the Gregorian calendar in 1582. And he sort of went through the Bible and a whole bunch of begats and crap like this and tried to figure out when year zero was. And then he started counting from there. So like, so, I mean, there was no year one, there was no year two, there was no year three, there wasn't any year up until 1582 when the calendar started. So, I mean, by this guy Gregory. By the way, is this, did he also start all those Gregorian chants? You know, when you yeah, go into actually, the Marxist actually, I'm quite, I'm quite sure. I can't do a Gregorian chant to save your life. <laughs> That's okay. Between the you two, caught of that. Our you caught that, you. didn't you? I can see it on your face. You caught this that. Is, this is not a musical podcast by any stretch. Okay. I get it. <laughs> and, th and thank whatever deity you're into for that one. Listen, actually, one of the best responses I saw to this was by my buddy Terry Hancock, who actually said, he said, the way that I look at it is it's 60 to 69, 70 to 79. So from his perspective, it's like the tens are over like in as far as the decade is concerned so we don't sit there and say oh it's the beginning of the next decade what we actually say it's the beginning of the 20s and in that respect he's bang on 20 to 29 is the next decade so i'm going with terry he's a wise man that works but i never hear anyone refer to the tens well no that's because i was it's kind of a lost decade isn't it <laughs> well and before that everyone says was it the zeros the aughts the what? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. You know, I will say one thing. You know, we, we, we'll walk away from the 20s. And uh, sorry, we'll walk away from the New Year's thing in just a second here. But I will say this, okay? To me, this is kind of a science fictional year. And I know there was like the year 2000 and 2001, you know, like 2001, a space odyssey or whatever. But 2020, there's something about that collection of digits that makes it sound like we're wandering into the future, finally with or without our flying cars, we're actually 
walking into the future for better or worse. You mean it's going to be a visionary year, a visionary decade? It's going yes. to be the 2020 visionary decade? <laughs> oh, God, I can't believe I didn't get that. Oh, oh, hurt me, hurt me. <laughs> I didn't get that at all. Oh, my goodness. Oh, there, there's, there's, um, <laughs> I posted this cartoon. By the way, that wasn't planned. <laughs> It's good though. I like it. Uh, my uh, my son was. Uh, I was. I was telling him. A, I was telling him that I'd posted this cartoon today about uh, the New Year's baby coming, and he said, "Like you know, well, isn't the New Year's baby going to be like you know, like we don't know who's going to be born?" It's, no, no, no. The New Year's baby. You know, the the cartoon kid with the hat, like he's twelve, right? The cartoon kid with the hat, and he goes, "What are you talking about?" So he's never seen this. So oh, and the sash. Don't forget the sash. Yeah, the sash. Yeah, no, I explained the sash. You know, it says Happy New Year across it, and he's got the black top hat and so forth. And he did not know what I was talking about. So this joke that I was trying to explain to him, I had to give him the background of all these cartoons and show him examples of the old man, you know, with the scythe walking off into the sunset. And I even had to explain walking off into the sunset. So Yeah, but I mean, come on. You can't even explain a three-year-old meme to somebody now without having to go into detail. So. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so I'm going to reference this cartoon because I thought it was pretty cool. I went and posted it on the Facebook. I'm sure you can go look at it. I'll link it in the show notes. But anyway, it's from uh, the guy who does Pearls Before Swine. Uh, you, you've seen that comic before, right? Like the cartoon? I've Pearls heard of it. I probably would recognize it, but it doesn't come to mind. Okay, so. anyway, in, in, in this comic, Pearls Before Swine, he, the, 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 he opens the door and there's the New Year's baby up there. And the, the New Year's baby says, you know, New Year. And then the guy says, don't you mean Happy New Year? And he goes, I've seen what's coming for the next year. And frankly, the best you can hope for here is New Year. And the guy, and then he grabs the bottle and he downs it in one shot. The baby downs the bottle in one shot. And the guy goes back in and he says, I'm worried about the coming year. <laughs> okay. Well, before we start taking ourselves into the future, how about okay. into the present? How All is right. your presents? Did you get presents? I got presents. I got a toilet. We a bought toilet a new toilet. A toilet is a present? Well, okay. If you're going older and you need one of those elevated height ones, the one. Oh, Jesus, do we have to get into this? Okay. So, depending on your point of view, that's a present you're going to benefit from all year long. Oh, man. I'm, I should not be drinking just Coke Zero here. I should be downing something else entirely. <laughs> Why am I, are we going to try and be encouraging a spit take here or something? Oh like man, man! Oh, okay. We did, you any, did you get we any real presents? Did you? Who known Home Depot would have a special on toilets for people? <laughs> did you get any presents I might care about? Okay. Yes. Yes, inspired yes. by what you talked to me about. You got me in, you got me interested in visual reality or virtual reality, <laughs> and it's visual too. So I went out and I found that Amazon had dropped the price of the Oculus Go to $200. I started doing a little shopping, and on one hand, a lot of reviewers said, yeah, this is your great entry point into, into virtual reality, and it's a great thing. Meanwhile, all the VR aficionados despise it passionately because it doesn't take you in deep enough, and, it, and, and it's, you know, it's only this many degrees of freedom as opposed to that, and it only has one controller yeah. instead of two, 
and 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 whatever you can't walk around the room or anyway i like it i'm happy with it it's my little entry uh two years ago i got myself a google cardboard and put my phone into it and found that very unsatisfying this was actually really nice by comparison you know i i I have an Oculus Quest and I love the whole six degrees of freedom thing. And yes, it actually is a completely different world when you get into the six degrees of freedom stuff. The idea that you can, you're not just moving in the center of a scene, like everything matters. Like if you lean forward and you look down, you know, you get the same kind of effect that you would in, if you'll pardon the expression, real life. But, oh, but I disagree. I disagree with if I if you if you tilt if you move down. At least I found that when you look down. Anyway, it it was neat for yeah, me. Yeah, you can you can see down, but it's not the same thing as like looking behind something. You know, turning your head to look behind something, that sort of stuff. So oh. you don't you don't get that. You're you're sitting in you're at a fixed point basically inside a scene, and unless you use the controllers to move forward or something like that. You're not actually changing positions, but I agree with you. And by the way, I'm I'm going to, I'm gonna you know uh, do a little virtual beating up of the people who said you know who who hate it, because I do think it's actually an excellent entry point into VR. It's inexpensive. A Quest, first of all, if you can find one right now, like you're you're some kind of superhuman monster or something, because they're like back ordered into mid February. It is like the hot toy of the year right now. But the but I haven't I haven't actually five hundred dollars five hundred and fifty bucks is the entry point in Canada in Canada okay in the states I think it's four hundred in the states but even so it's a lot it's a lot of cash and I have an Oculus Go as well and I had an Oculus Go before the Quest and the Oculus Go is still great it's not the same thing I agree but there are so many things that you can do and if you've never experienced virtual reality before. It is, it is a wonderful entry point. I actually think that it's a great purchase. I, I applaud. Well, it's, it's, it's nice. The demos that are on that are good. I'm definitely not much of a first-person shooter, so that, that category of games is sort of out to me. But the kind of thing of, you know, those demos where you're on the roller coaster and you're looking all around you. Yeah. And just before, anyway, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's an interesting experience. You invited me into a chat area. I did. Of course, because you had the expensive gear and I didn't. Uh, your avatar actually had two working arms and I was just one-armed. <laughs> That's right. But you know what? You know what? I mean, I there are some games that, like, it's still a great purchase. I actually think it's a great purchase. It's very inexpensive. Like I said, the entry point for a quest, uh, which, by the way, I, I think for the technology is not at all outrageous price-wise, especially given what it would have cost you to do the same thing like two years ago. To get something like the Quest two years ago, to get that six degrees of freedom and that kind of technology, you'd be spending like seven dollars $8,000. You know, by the time you bought an HTC Vive, you would need a special room. Like you'd have to have a room dedicated to it with sensors in the corners so that it knew where you were. Like this is... This yeah, is like I mean, no, it sounds, it sounds great. I mean, on one hand, how do you talk about degrees of freedom when your bloody thing is tethered to a PC? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. You know, you've got this big cable. Well, for one thing, you're very, very careful is what you are. When they talk about six degrees of freedom, they don't mean that you're not connected to something. You, you understand that, right? <laughs> freedom. <laughs> 
freedom. <laughs> anyway, I, I enjoy. Let me let me, let me let me get you an order of freedom fries, there, my friend. <laughs> and and if any of you out there uh, listening to this have some ideas or some demos or some suggestions of what you do with your VR gear that makes it really super wonderful, I'd really like to hear. All well, right, I'm going to tell you one right now. There's a puzzle game. There are a couple of puzzle games that that you need to get. You absolutely need to get them. Okay. One of them is called Daedalus. Okay, and it's kind of an escape room sort of thing. The idea is Daedalus, and, and there's even a backstory. Daedalus created was was a master creator of prisons, and he was imprisoned in one of his own prisons. And he has these dreams every night about how to get out of it. And there are like multiple rooms, and it's beautiful. Like it's a gorgeous, gorgeous freaking game where you do have to figure out how to move from one level to the next. I highly recommend it. It's brilliant. The Sounds other great. one that's so get that one absolutely, and then talk going to you. in the notes. What's that? I'll put it in the notes. So that one, and then the other one that you need to get your hands on is Land's End. Land's End is again another one of these puzzle games that is just freaking gorgeous. It's it like it it brings all these sorts of otherworldly elements into it and it's just gorgeous being in there going through the process it's not like slashing things it's not firing at things nothing is trying to kill you it's just here's this gorgeous surrealistic landscape which you have to figure out how to navigate so i love those two are brilliant i highly recommend them so quick question are these things free or are they paid because one those thing are, that I, yeah one those thing are paid is, is, is in the world of Android and iPhones, when you're paying for an app, you know, it's like two, three, four bucks, and the really expensive stuff is like eight or nine or, or yep. 10. Yep. You go into Oculus, and I'm looking at the store, and now you're in PlayStation and Xbox world where charging 40, 50, $60 yep. is not uncommon for a game. And yep. I guess it was a bit of a shock to me to, to find that I'm now in the expensive games world and not in the cheap Android games world. Well, I mean, for, for one thing, for one thing, it's, I'd like, it's, it's a smaller marketplace. Okay. So the possibility of selling, you know, 10 million games, you know, of something is virtually non-existent. So the, the return that a game developer can expect for a VR game is going to be quite a bit lower. Right. Okay. So, so you have to sort of understand that going in. And, and, and honestly, I think, I think it's fair. Um, I think it's fair because it's kind of an experience. It's not just sitting there going, bah, 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 bah. like, you, like, it's practically like, like going out somewhere, you know, visiting someplace, being in a different world. Wander, by the way, which sounds just like Google Maps or Google Street View. I've spent hours inside wander visiting other places in the world hitting the random button you know and and just landing somewhere and wandering around These that was like, the one thing that i think that i that that i saw myself that i think yeah I that, so let, let me give you a third one then wander has to be on your list so those are the three things that you need absolutely need to get just to just to appreciate what this thing can do for you in terms of transporting you to somewhere different wander uh, to be for actual real places on earth and underwater by the way as well which is kind of cool there are underwater places that google maps has been and uh so wander daedalus and uh, land's end and yes i will put them in the show notes and you need to get all three of those so honestly it's worth every penny that these things are and in, in both of those cases they're what are called cross buys so if you do wind up getting an oculus quest 
you don't have to rebuy them again. Like they're available in the quest. And what's really interesting is they introduce, at least with Daedalus and with Land's End, they introduce the six degrees of freedom. So the game is modified just enough to allow you to do this thing. Like for instance, in Daedalus, you could wind up on a platform. Well, you can look down at the platform, but if you want to look beyond the platform, you have to keep moving forward until basically you're on the edge looking down. Whereas right. with the with the uh, Oculus Quest headset, you can literally you can just lean over and you know like you would in if you'll pardon the expression real life. So, so okay. So great gift. Yeah. By the way, I I didn't I didn't get anything. Ah, I've, I've I've got everything, man. Actually, what I did was I bought myself a couple of games on the Oculus Quest. I I, I got my I got myself drop dead dual strike where I get to fight zombies and, and hopefully survive. And I got Star Trek Fleet Command. I saw demos of that. That looks quite interesting. It's really cool. I've played it. Um, the, part of the attraction is that, you know, you've got friends that you can play with and so forth. I was at home one night, Sally was away, and uh, <clears throat> I was at home one night after, like just before Christmas, before I got it, she was, she was visiting some family with Tristan. And my other kid was asleep in bed upstairs and they went to a sing-along at somebody else's house. And uh, so I, I bought this thing. I gave myself a present that night and I sat inside and I hooked up with like three random people who were the other members of the bridge crew, you know, um, to basically rescue some people from, uh, from the uh, Klingon, you know, past the neutral zone into Klingon territory. And it was just like a blast, a complete blast somebody's the captain somebody's the helmsman somebody is at weapons control so, you know like and and you're all sitting there and somebody is in engineering and you're all sitting there like the, the captain issues commands and you actually operate the controls so you actually set up the photon torpedoes you do the aiming somebody else navigates the ship and then the captain is basically you know sitting there in this chair bringing up the commands it's cool. a blast I, I, I mean, I figured that with, with my gaming skills or whatever I joined, I would be assigned something like red shirt number 14. There, there, there's nothing like your that. Job, your job so is to be... accompany the important people on away missions <laughs> and be a human shield. So you always need those human shields. You truly do. Ah, all right. Shall we move away from Christmas just for the heck of it? Oh, oh, a little bit. of One last thing. This isn't really uh, this. This. Okay. Okay. I went to a movie yesterday with, with Tristan, with my youngest, okay? And we went to a movie, and we went to see Jumanji 2. Did you ever see Jumanji? I think ages ago. That okay, had okay. Robin Williams. I, and... Yeah, Robin Williams. You know, I love Robin Williams. You know, and it's, you know, I, I'm not trying to speak ill of the dead, but Jumanji was a very uneven film, like the Robin Williams Jumanji. Okay. And this other one, this new one is, um, was... Uh, is it's actually the second one, Jumanji 2, obviously. And Jumanji was remade two years ago. And the idea in this case is they find the game, like some kid finds the game, but he's playing with, uh, uh, he, he looks at it and he tosses it on his bed and it turns into a game cartridge 20 years ago. So it starts 20 years ago. And he winds up entering the world of Jumanji and is never seen again. And then the game winds up in the hands of four kids in 2017. And uh, they're high school students. They're, they're seniors. They're in their like last year of high school or something like this. And uh, they're four completely mismatched people, of course, because that makes the game more interesting. And the cast on it is kind of, is kind of ridiculous. It starts uh, Dwayne Johnson is in there. Um, Dwayne Johnson is in there. Uh, uh, Kevin Hart, 
Jack Black and Karen Gillan are the main characters, like are, are the stars of the show. Okay. It's, it's a blast. And, and Dwayne Johnson is this geeky kid who winds up, sorry, this geeky kid winds up in the body of this avatar who is Dwayne Johnson. So he's like, you know, the rock. And he's, he's Dr. Smolder Bravestone, who is like the ultimate adventurer hero. And everybody's got their own powers and their own weaknesses. And it's just a blast. Don't pay no attention to what the critics say about it. Normal human people who go and watch the show have actually thought that it was really good. So if you take a look at the ratings by normal human people, it's actually pretty good. Critics hated it. They hated the first one. They hated the second one, which we went to see. And the second one, they introduced a couple of new characters. They've got Danny Glover and Danny, Danny DeVito come and play in the game as well. <laughs> it's, well, it's the gap between, the, I loved what, it. the gap between critics and normal people, I mean, I ran into that head on with the Chappelle thing. Yes. Uh, and so what critics say, you know, okay, let them have their Golden Globes or whatever, and the rest of us will actually just watch entertainment. But yeah, so, so, my, so recommendation, two thumbs up. My, so my comment, my, my thing says, you talk about a movie, I've got one thing about music and one thing about TV. And the thing about music is a complaint. Really? Absolutely mucked over. They, they, they basically put all over the airways a song that had been my favorite song from my favorite movie. <laughs> someone to I had someone to love from the Blues Brothers. That's a great song. I love it. It's a great song. And of course, being as musical as we are, there's no way in hell I'm going to be singing it. But it, the chorus goes, you, you, you. And, and Amazon plays on that. And they just, they made a wonderful song just so trite. And I'm I was really ticked off at it. Uh, but it reminded me of the song, but the original is useful. That's the Blues Brothers, man. Oh, I loved it. That's still my all-time favorite movie. As many times as I've seen it, I could put it on. And that opening scene where it goes over the smokestacks and takes you to the front of the prison yes. gate. Anyway, all right. But that's and, and, of, and, of course, and, of course, the scene with the Nazis on the bridge, right? <laughs> Illinois Nazis. <laughs> the Illinois, I Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> We're on a mission from God. <laughs> no, no, from God. God. <laughs> anyway. All right, you know what? I'll, 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 I'll find the commercial. I'll find the commercial. I'll add it to the show notes so that, you know. And you, can, and you must then find the video that has the course. clip of the movie. Of course. Don't be ridiculous. Okay. Of course, I'll add it. Now, it was the it was the it was the one song where they had they they were on stage raising money, uh, and so they had this benefit concert, and it was the second one. And for the first song they did, everyone just sat in their seats, saying, "Okay, entertain me, people." And that was the one where they all started standing up in their seats and applauding and cheering. And it started with everyone quiet, and it ended with everyone practically tearing the place down. Just wonderful song. Anyway, if you haven't heard it, go to the show notes, listen to it, listen to the right version first, and then see how Amazon butchered it afterwards. All right, listen, listen. I'm, 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 I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna direct your attention elsewhere for a moment. Are you okay with that? Oh, I was going to turn right away from that to something I really loved about Christmas. Oh, well, tell me. Uh, on television, a show that attracted more than a million viewers in the UK. Okay. It is the Christmas special for a British series called Gavin and Stacy. Never heard of it. Oh, you must. 
it is a phenomenally charming piece of work. Now, this is a Christmas special. Essentially, the show had ran for either three or four seasons a bunch of years ago, and this was a reunion. And everyone was anticipating, anticipating it. And the main star of it, and in fact, one of the writers, is James Corden, who has since come to the U.S. to, to host The Late Late Show but he actually plays one of the main characters on Gavin and Stacey. And he's one of the main writers. Okay. It's a phenomenal piece of work. And, and, and Corden is massively talented as a writer and as an actor. You see him as a talk show host in the U S that's tip of the iceberg. Uh, he's, he's very funny in that, but in Gavin and Stacey, it is a fish out of water story about two people that get married. She's from Wales. He's from England. And the families that'll never work. Well, that's <laughs> that's the internal friction. <laughs> anyway, so uh, after being out of out of, out of being away for so many years, when they come and they do a reunion for a Christmas special, you're almost wondering, is this simply going to be horribly written nostalgia that at least everyone gets to to send off the people? And it was as good, if not better. Than, their, than the writing they did when they first started the thing. It is wonderful. It had everyone in, that I knew that was into it saying, why can't we have more? Now we got to wait for another Christmas or something like that if they get together. It is a wonderfully charming piece of British television. A lot of British TV is crap. This is <laughs> phenomenal. A lot of old TV is crap. I'm sorry to tell you, but... <laughs> well, this is true. But the thing is, there's a lot of people that say, oh, British TV is wonderful. No, a lot of British TV is crap. It's when you pick out, you know, the Yes Ministers and the Monty Pythons and the whatever, and you say, okay, here's the cream of the crop. Uh, my favorite TV news show these days is actually a British weekly called The Last Leg, which we can talk to at another time because we've been ready. Well, I've, I'm, I'm completely unknowing yeah. of this thing. Okay, so we'll save that. We'll 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 put a pin in that and save that for later because the last leg is a wonderful. Is, is that is that going to be? Oh, by the way, the Stacy and Gwen or Gwen Stacy. Gavin or, and Stacy. Oh, sorry, Gavin and Stacy. Like, can I watch the Christmas special without ever having seen this show before? It takes out some of the context. If you have it, if you have the ability, watch the very first episode and then skip to the Christmas thing. Okay. It, it, it's it's good. It's good. Um, they they did they did a couple of one offs offshoots from it. Some of the characters uh, did a, a video in Las Vegas with Tom Jones, which was a very weird piece of work. I love Tom Jones. Okay, that'll go in the show notes. But we'll talk. I'll talk about new shows later because that's a whole. It's other. not unusual to love Tom Jones, you know. It's not unusual. Oh, come on. Hey, uh, I just, you're going to hang up on me now, aren't you? I just listened to a stand-up routine from a stand-up comic I really like named John Mulaney. And he talks about going into a restaurant with a, and, and basically putting, putting in something like $10 worth in the jukebox and having What's New Pussycat play over and over for 30 times <laughs> and watching the reactions of the people in the restaurant. Uh, I might have to. I might have to. I might have to link to a Wikipedia, a, a, you know, article so that people can know what a jukebox is. You know, <laughs> uh, I got to see Tom Jones. Okay, 
north of Toronto, but I saw Tom. Really I saw good. Tom Jones in Vegas, man. Oh well, that was yeah. that was. That's a much better place than Casino Rama. I don't even know where Casino Rama is. It's somewhere near Barry or something. I think you it? go to Barry and then turn right and keep driving for another half. <laughs> okay. Oh man. Okay. All right. All right. I thought we were going to move off Christmas, but I have to tell you about another show that we've been watching over Christmas. And we watched like all of the episodes over the course of like six days. Okay. And uh, we just finished it last night and it's the Witcher on Netflix. So the Witcher is, is based on a series of books by this Polish writer and it became an, it became like a huge hit over there. It eventually turned into a video game of which there were three major video game releases for PC gamers, not, not tablet stuff, but PC gamers. And I'll be honest, I've never played any of the PC games for The Witcher. I've been aware of it for a number of years, but I've never actually played it. And I just, for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe somebody said something about it, whatever, I thought, I gotta watch it. Like, we gotta watch the first episode. So, you know, my wife said, ah, okay, fine, let's, let's, let's have a go at it. And both of us were, like, captivated, like, from the beginning. And we loved it. Like, it ended last night. It's obviously a setup for season two, you know, at the end of this first season. But both of us walked away going like, that was awesome. That was just great. So The Witcher, The Witcher on Netflix. Uh, you've got, you must have Netflix. Everybody has Netflix. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so check out The Witcher. Okay. Check out The Witcher. It is, it was wonderful. Yeah. My favorite Netflix show right now is on hiatus. It's There's a lot of my favorite shows on the hiatus. The <laughs> it's, it's, but they've committed to another season. It's an animated, <clears throat> it's an animated show called Big Mouth, which yeah, yeah, you know, you know, I know you gave me that as homework. I still haven't watched. It. Okay, we'll get to that in a future episode. All we right, still have all right. Over here, right. we've been yapping way long about. You know, we like we we claimed when we created this podcast that there was something about open source and open Linuxy thingies, and it's we haven't covered any... stuff. We got to go there. We we got to go. So let's take two minutes. Okay, two minutes for you, two minutes for me, or less. Okay. Good luck with that. No, we're we're gonna we're locking it down, buddy. I'm gonna I'm gonna time it. Okay, I'm gonna go and without making the sounds. Okay, but I'm gonna time it. Okay, so you have two minutes to identify what you think are the biggest open source Linuxy type stories of the last decade. Go. Or do you want I, to start? I don't have a lot of. My main thing about Linux and open source is essentially the quiet takeover of mobile and the cloud while nobody was looking. So when everyone's saying, oh, I don't see any Linux devices around me, I just say, okay, take out, take the, your Linux device out of your pocket and make a call with it. Uh, it to me, the, the rise has been quiet and it's sort of been takeovers by stealth that when somebody says, oh, Linux hasn't made it, you basically get to hit them over the head now because every mobile and all the clouds they're talking to is open source. And so now when somebody says, I'm not, you know, Linux ain't going anywhere because I don't see anybody with it, you get to basically call them out. Yeah, everybody. Less than two minutes. Yeah, okay, well, that's pretty good. That was good. Yeah, so talking about the future, that's something else. You asked Okay, me well, all right. So so here's the last 10 years. The last 10 years for me has been the businessification, if you'll pardon me. Is that, is that a word, businessification? Of, uh, there you go. You've got a Google cup there. I saw a Google cup there going up to the lips. Anyway, 
there you go. Google Cloud. Oh, interesting. There you go. Uh, scale 17x. I always wanted to go to scale, but I can't afford to make the trip. Anyway, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. The last, the last 10 years for me were how much businesses have gotten involved in open source, specifically all the people that have come to the table to places like the Linux Foundation and stuff like that. And obviously, I'm talking about Microsoft. Microsoft was the great Satan. Uh, in open seat, you're covering your face, but but hear me out here. This was a big story. So you've got IBM who bought Red Hat. You've got Microsoft who bought GitHub. You know, all of these people are now at the table in the Linux Foundation and so forth. Microsoft has publicly come out and stated we are an open source company. You can argue that any way you want, but, but we had the Microsoft loves Linux, all this sort of stuff. That this was the year where Microsoft stopped, like, or sorry, the decade where Microsoft stopped thinking of Linux as a cancer and just got on board, for better or worse. You could argue it any way you want, but it it was it like this was like a big deal. Yeah, okay, man. I, I, I won't argue. I won't argue it's significant. I'll continue to be skeptical. And yeah, they've take, they've thrown an awful lot of money at going from Satan to Santa in like a year or two. <laughs> well, yeah, all we gotta, you gotta do is switch two letters, man. Exactly. Um, Satan, Santa, is that just two letters or is that three? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Go ahead. Um, so I'll, I'll, remain, I'll remain cautiously optimistic, but still a little bit cynical. You, don't, you, you can't take, you can't take too, that much baggage, and it's going to take a long time to, to basically make that full conversion. I like what they've done. It's nice what they've done. Uh, you know, Outlook for Android is a nice piece of work. They've been working really hard to do some really, really good free apps on Android. Yep. I haven't installed any of them, uh, but I'm keeping a watch out. Uh, there's some reviewers that actually say Outlook for Android is better than the Gmail interface. So that might be worth checking out. And, it might be worth checking out, yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I might, I'm not religiously opposed to it. I'm just really cynical having having lived the wars of the last 20 years. you know you know what it's it's always good to be a little cynical what is so what do you see for the future then you want to go look you want to look to the future if you gotta pick a future story take a future well, story i'm, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to actually keep going with your business hmm. businessification or whatever the heck you called it okay and and absolutely the 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 move of open source to be less focused on you know, what's thought is the individual hacker in the basement that's writing code on which the entire internet works and more into the hands of the Microsofts and IBMs and Oracles and everyone else. You know, SAP doing basically uh, going hand in glove with, with SUSE. It's, it, it's, it's all good. It's all good embraces. Um, but there's some interesting things on the horizon. Uh, number one, now you're starting to see a lot more good work happening in open source hardware. And, okay. And so one of so one of the next big things that's happening is a chip called the Risk V, and it's a it's a chip design in much the same way that uh, um, that a British company designed the ARM chip, and so they make a design, and any foundry can make a chip based on the design. So is it have, isn't Risk V an IBM product though? No. Am I wrong? It it it, it was it was actually started. I believe IBM had a had a hand in the start of it, uh, and there was a lot of academic and defense projects in the U.S. But the big deal about this is that it was open source. The design of this is open source. 
you have a foundation that was created to maintain standards and to, to say, you know, this is what risk V is and you can't make something that isn't and call it that or whatever. It's a very, very good consortium. And now it turns around that this consortium is looking to move. Even though its board of directors is 100% American, this organization is looking to move itself from Delaware to Switzerland. And the reason for that is because so many of the consortium members that are now actively involved, actively contributing to the open source project and so on. And they're saying, because of trade wars going on around uh -huh. the world, we don't want to be caught up in the middle of it. And so we're concerned that if we're locating in the US or in China or whatever, or in any of these antagonists, that one of them is going to try and use the trade war as a way to batter somebody else over the head with it. Right. Right. And, and uh, this, is, this is a concern, enough of a concern to have the consortium move its whole thing over to Switzerland, which is where the maintenance of the definition of risk V would, would take place. Now, I don't know that much about the technology itself. It's almost not so relevant in this discussion of what it does, but just the politics and how, you know, how the trade wars and the geopolitics have forced an open source project to say we need to be in a neutral territory because we don't want to let any government be able to restrict the use of open source. You don't want to have a situation where, you know, they're going to pull a Huawei and saying, okay, you can't use this technology. And all of a sudden Google is cut off or they're cutting off Google or there's all sorts of crap going on. And I have an inkling that this is going to get worse before it gets better. And it harks back to the old days, you know, decades ago, when there was uh, encryption technology that you could get shipped. It was open source. It was on a Linux mm -hmm. system. But because it was encryption technology, it was covered by various U.S. laws, and you couldn't export it. Is that so, the one that if you were, if you were, like, if you wore the T-shirt, you were in violation of? No, no, no. That's... That's that was DVD CSS. That's the DVD decryption tool. That's ah. an entirely different story. Okay. This was just general purpose um, uh, public key, uh, public key encryption. That whole technology behind. You mean like RSA, DSA, no, that's RSA. You could oh. not export RSA to certain countries. There was a whole list of countries that you couldn't ship a, an open source CD containing open source code using these encryption techniques to these countries, even though it was open source, even right. though there's nothing in the open source definition that, that prevented you, there were legal, there, you know, in, in, according to some U.S. laws, you know, encryption was considered a munition and its export was controlled. Yep. yep. And so the whole thing of this move to Switzerland is saying, well, if it's sourced in Switzerland, then you don't have a problem with export. Or you, you say... Know, in a neutral country and there's no problem about who can use it when you put it in a country that's enemies with no one you know you're you're reminding me of like uh this is obviously a long time ago but when the first web browsers started coming out the first ssl encrypted browsers so this is like a long long time ago there used to be a version of firefox that included secure so you could connect to a website with a secure connection https and there was a version that didn't have https and those were the versions that you could distribute to places like russia and whatever so i actually do remember this like in the early days of web browsers where it was 
it was controlled to the point that you couldn't download or you couldn't make a browser available for download to another country that was considered an enemy of the U.S., for instance. Or there's tech like PGP and all sorts of things like that that got into it. And, and, and so a Linux distribution or Firefox, you know, had to be cognizant of not violating U.S. law by saying, you, you know, we've got one version for friendly countries and one version yeah. for the rest of the world. And so now we're seeing that kind of mindset at work here where you have countries that are saying, uh, you know, we want to contribute to the open source project. You have Chinese, Chinese companies that are contributing to risk V saying, I don't want to contribute innovation into this technology and open yeah. source and, you know, sharing for all only to have it subject to some kind of trade embargo. Well, and, and in the case of hardware, that becomes even more difficult because hardware is actually something that you need to ship and make available to other places. Whereas in the case of software, it's kind of hard to control, you know, which borders software crosses. Yeah. And anyway, so I see this as, uh, I mean, we talked about the stories of the last decade. I think this is going to be a significant, significant one of the next decade. As you see the rest of the world trying to wrest control away of open source and internet-y things and so on like that, away from the traditional uh, U.S. home for these things. And I you think know, I, you're going to start to see it in, in, you know, you have Russia that's walling off the entire internet, yes. getting the internet inside. We, India. India has actually walled off the internet more often than Russia has. Well, I don't know if they've walled it so much as just turned it off in certain places. When it's yes, in yes. But the idea of the internet and things like that as being a political tool, as being, uh, as being weaponized, um, you know, and, and so I think this is going to be one of the issues going forward. You're now going to start to see a backlash against Google and Amazon and, 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 uh, and Facebook uh, with the rest of the world saying, why don't we have any say in how these companies are manipulating us? Right. And I think you're, you're slowly going to see, uh, you know, it's going to, you know, if the Americans can't regulate it, then the rest of the world is going to take it on. Uh, just last week, while nobody was watching, the United Nations passed an agreement on uh, on uh, on cybercrime, and the okay. U.S. and the Europeans were against it because they weren't they were left out of it. You had the U.N. General Assembly saying we want an agreement on cybercrime. Now, the U.S. and Europe were against it because they thought, well, some of the countries that are into this, their idea of crime is a little bit different from ours. You know, where political dissent is a crime. Right. Or blasphemy is a crime. Of course. Or various things like that or a crime. And so you, the U.S. And, and EU were very, very vocal in dissenting and not participating in this. We have China, Russia, and other countries that were, you know, we need to protect against cybercrime. Well, at one level, who doesn't want to protect against cybercrime? But then it comes back to what you consider a crime. That's the crux of this. And you have countries that are increasingly rebelling against the dominance of the industry in the U.S. And I, that is going, that's going to take some years to play out. Um, and it could go smoothly and it could go not. Okay, well, let's put a pin in that one, but I'm going to put another pin right beside it, which is this, okay? 
because remember the whole you remember obviously the lib dvd css thing it became a thing to and maybe it was uh it, it became a thing to flout you know to uh, to flaunt uh the fact that you were disobeying this particular law that you were paying you know that you were continuing to watch your dvds mm -hmm. you know your dvd movies on your pc even though technically speaking you had to break the law in order to watch this movie that you paid for on a cd player that you paid for on a pc that you paid for so somehow it was still illegal to do that. And people made a big deal, myself included, of just going ahead and doing it anyway. And the pin that I'd like to put on the board, okay, is at one time, I feel like the open source community was more political in the sense that we seem to give more of a damn about what open meant. And we were willing to say, you know, I realize the law says this, but it's stupid and we're gonna do this and we'll get around it by doing these other things and so forth. And I, the pin I'd like to put is to see if in the next 10 years, because there is a lot of pushback to certain laws and to governments interfering in certain things and so forth. And I'm kind of wondering if the open source community is gonna stick its head up out of the ground again and start doing that sort of thing, even right down to the possibility. And, and I know you know that this is one of my things I have wondered more than one time why we don't create a supplemental internet where basically we just, we just create like a modern ver. I mean, we all have, we all have routers. We all have network connected systems. We all have Bluetooth. We all have Wi-Fi and so forth. There's mm -hmm. no reason we couldn't create a new backbone, just connecting all of these diverse systems together into, if you'll pardon the expression, a supplemental internet. Let's call it an overnet, you know, which rides on top of the infrastructure that already exists and so forth. And the open source community is well poised to do that. And I'm surprised we haven't done it, given all these political hurdles and all these people, you know, all these things that are in our way. Well, there does exist a version of there does exist a version of that for those that are financially motivated, which is generally known as the dark web, right? Yeah, you the dark web. The dark web is child's play. It's BS. No, but I mean, the whole thing boring. of the Tor browser and this whole sort of internet. I, I know, I know, but but it, it's it's not it's not what I'm envisioning. I'm envisioning basically everybody connecting all their routers and so forth. I mean, if you were to use a technology like that, somebody couldn't just turn off the internet. That's why I'm playing with the term overnet. Like no, you could you, just you, turn this shit off because all you need is a phone that's on. You're absolutely right. The problem is, is that traditionally anytime any initiatives like this have sort of reared their head, you have the traditional ISP industry that's been there to bash them down as fast as they happen. So things like, even things like municipal mesh networks and things yes. like that. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, you remember once upon a time the Toronto Toronto government? Oh, of course. I I mean I they were they were going to make they were going to make it available you know over the power system over the hydro power system. And and the ISP community banded together and never you know the only time they get together is when they want to fight competition and boy are they good at it. And they basically browbeat the government of Toronto into selling it off for next to nothing and it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And, and so the thing is, the potential is there, the will is there, but you've got places, I, I, I don't know of specifics, but there's, there's states and cities in the U.S. where the lobbyists have succeeded in convincing the governments to pass laws preempting the creation of this kind of thing. Yes. Well, I know, but again, this is why, this is why I'm using 
the idea of the open source community creating a product that's freely distributed that people can just go on board by downloading it and installing it. Like it yeah. amazes me. I, you know, I, I, for the record, I'm not preaching public disobedience. Here. No, no. But, uh, no. <laughs> it the just thing, amazes me that this hasn't no. happened. The thing is, you're right. But I think where the innovation for this is going to happen is going to be somewhere outside North America and Europe where you don't have lobbyists as heavily invested in, in fighting it. Yeah. And, and where it might be out of necessity. There's going to be, there's places in the world where to get connectivity, they're going to have to do this kind of mesh stuff. And, and again, this is, this is why it amazes me that it hasn't happened yet. Now we've got Elon putting up Starlink up there, you know, which, uh, which at some point is going to blanket the entire planet. That should be interesting to see. Trust his motives. Well, you know, I, I love the guy. I do. I do. Cause you know, <laughs> he's my totem animal. <laughs> I don't know. He's 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 still got that Bond villain kind of quality to him. <laughs> oh man, you find Bond Bezos villain. is better at a Bond villain kind of character, but ah. uh, they all seem to be like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe right. Who knows? No, but I, I I honestly think that you know all it's going to take is going to be either some government or some in, some NGO or some big philanthropist, you know. To me, this might be a Richard Branson kind of thing, or heaven heaven forbid, you know, Shuttleworth. Uh, there's a couple of different sources uh, that genuinely want to help the world. You know, I, and and I guess I guess this is the part where the Bond villain thing sort of falls apart for me because. Everything I've seen, uh, all the all the initiatives that Elon Musk is involved in, including SpaceX, including you know, uh, uh, the battery systems, electric cars, all this sort of stuff to me seems like a plan, you know, or an attempt to create a better world than the one that we're living in at the moment. And then one day he pushes a button and hypersonic sound comes out of all the Teslas <laughs> and out of all the satellites. And we are all mesmerized. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Or, or it's or it's the Cybermen, you know. From how many how the, many sci-fi plots have that kind of tune to them? Oh, I've I've seen several of them. All right, hey, listen, listen. Before we wrap it up here, do you have any New Year's resolutions? Uh, no, I I've got some. I got an interesting project that I'm working on that have to do with getting the libraries of the world into more adult education. Uh, I'm really hoping to make that succeed. It's going to take a lot of work, but I think the benefit of it is going to be immense. Uh, you know, more more news on that in the future as it rolls out, but I'm really excited about it. Uh, the stuff with LPI is still working. In terms of, you know, I, I just want to wish health for my family and the people around me. And, you know, let's just get through another year. It's going to, 2020, is going to be so wild. A U.S. election, Brexit negotiations, all sorts of crap happening, another Israeli election, all sorts of wonderful, stupid politics are going to happen. And I've gone out of my way. We've gone out of our way to avoid talk about any of that in this episode. But 2020 is going to be a roller coaster. 
And here, I, I was just going to say that my for my resolution, I just wanted to be rich next year. That was my. Now you're making me. Now you're making me feel like I'm a terrible person because. <laughs> no, because then once you get rich, you get to influence all those other things. Ah, I see. Okay, all right, all right. Or become a bond. As long as Citizens United is in place, you can still, you know, spend unlimited amounts of money on on a U.S. election campaign. And How become a bond. Like and that? become a bond villain. Don't forget bond villain. <laughs> Well, you see, you look at people like Michael Bloomberg. I can't see Michael Bloomberg as a Bond villain. He's just no. too goofy to be a Bond villain. Too boring to be a Bond villain. Richard Branson could be a Bond villain. He could. He totally could. He's got that look about it. You know, it's like on one hand, you know, I got I got the hair, you know, and the whole thing, you know, but but somewhere I've got an island lair where <laughs> Yeah, but don't you feel that island lair thing about, uh, you know, um, Bezos? Well, Bezos, maybe. Elon's lair is underground. Head for it. No, Elon's lair is underground. Be Bezos, I don't know about Bezos. Branson has got an island somewhere. He, his, his lair is an island. And uh, Bezos, I, I, have, I have no idea about Bezos. I just don't get that guy. But Elon is definitely an underground lair, okay? Totally underground layer. I would go with the underground layer if it was me. Yeah. And an island. Oh, like the Thunderbirds. That would be awesome because it's both underground and an island at the same time. And Lady Penelope like... drives a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good place to end it. Yeah, I guess as good as any. All right. Happy New Year. You too. Let's see this decade off with a, with a blast. That's right. Cheers. Drink up, buddy. <laughs> We're going to need it. Bye-bye. Bye, Marcel. Hi. This is Marcel, after the show. If you like what Evan and I are doing here, there are many ways that you can help support the podcast. The most important and easiest of them all is just to tell your friends, family, dog, cat, goldfish, Enemies, just tell everybody about the podcast and have them listen as well. You can also review it on Anchor.fm or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you happen to listen to podcasts. If you have a blog, you can blog about it. If you have your own podcast, hey, that would be cool. If you have your own podcast, you could actually talk about our podcast and your podcast. If you're going to do that, by the way, you should let us know because, hey, we'd like to listen too. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.